You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And today is our holiday special, and we're trying to feel holiday festive, even though Omicron is in the news everywhere. Um, and so to help us do that, we have a very entertaining guest, Dan Samborn, who's the president at Wheelhouse Labs, and he's the head of marketing at Kimmelot, Jimmy Kimmel's Creative Lab. So welcome, Dan. Uh, welcome to our show and really happy, happy to have you here. Well, really glad to be here. And, and as I had said uh, when first meeting you, slightly intimidated by your background and resume. Uh, I, hope, I hope not to embarrass myself. Oftentimes when people call me entertaining, it's because I make a great joke of myself, but I'm going to try uh, best to entertain your listeners and in the process not do it at my own uh, behest here. Well, I've looked a little at your work and preparation for this, and I don't think it's going to be embarrassing at all. And it's just if we need some humor, we need some people who are looking at the bright side and see see the funny in things. And so I'm really happy to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got here, what your background is, and how what Wheelhouse Lab is, and how how it all works together? I know you work with Jimmy Kimmel and work with um, with other companies working together. How does all that work? There seems like a lot of collaboration. A, a ton of a ton of collaboration and I grew up in a pretty big family and, and characters and the ability to bring and connect different characters was sort of a way of life uh, in my household um, but but just starting off in terms of my background I actually started off in politics believe it or not I was a communications director uh, for a great congressman named Jim Maloney up in Connecticut and we lost a very tough race uh, in 2002 and had my heart ripped out and said, just like we're talking about now, you know, I need to do something less serious and uh, was, was blessed um, to have Guinness and at the time Guinness UDV and Diageo reach out to me. I said, well, what could be less serious than the tiny bubbles in Guinness or worrying about margaritas and pina coladas. And so I went in, into Diageo and helped form and create what was called their culture and part partnerships team at the time, um, Spirits couldn't advertise in typical places that other brands could. And so my, my job was effectively to find non-traditional different ways to engage audiences and integrate our brands into culture. And I did that for 16 years and had a, just an amazing experience, uh, an amazing career. But I always had this nagging voice uh, in the back of my head, you know, wanting me to do something more entrepreneurial and, and, and to test myself. And so I set this sort of arbitrary goal that when I turned the ripe age of 40, I was going to leave and, and do something new. And, and Jimmy, I had met Jimmy early on in my career. He was a creative director for us at Diageo, um, doing lots of different uh, this creative Jimmy stuff. This is Jimmy of Jimmy Kimmel? Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. He was a creative yeah, director? Yeah, he wow. was, while doing his show, he came up with a concept with us. We worked really closely together on a, on a concept called Three Ridiculous Questions, where Jimmy would play a bartender uh, and ask uh, three absurd questions to famous people over over a drink, and it you know it was a, a creative concept among many that he's come up with. Um, and as I talked to him about sort of where I was going in my career, he he had shared with me that he was going to be going into this venture uh, wheelhouse, which was really around new styles of entertainment, uh, both in partnership with brands, um, but really really a future facing entertainment company 
And knowing what I did at Diageo, um, he asked me if I would come along and, and join. And so I've been now at Wheelhouse for three years. It was founded in partnership with Brent Montgomery. Uh, Brent had a background in reality television, creating shows like Pawn Stars and Fixer Upper and Hell's Kitchen and a number of others. And, and like Jimmy, Brent realized the changing landscape um, that was going on in the entertainment world and, and sort of this idea of entertainment as marketing, but also content and, and commerce and all of those things merging. And so Wheelhouse is three things under one roof. And then I promise I'll, I'll stop talking and you yes, can ask, get another question. You're making question me in. think of so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but Wheelhouse, Wheelhouse is, is three things under one roof. Entertainment, through Wheelhouse Entertainment, we make and create scripted and unscripted shows. Uh, integrated brand marketing through Wheelhouse Labs, which is what I run. Uh, and, then, and then private equity investment through Wheelhouse 360, where we invest in early stage businesses that we believe would benefit from the types of marketing and types of shows that we would create. And I sit in the middle of that through Wheelhouse Labs, much like I would have at Diageo, connecting brands with the shows we're making or helping the brands we're invested in, like Hydro, uh, which, is a, which is a connected rowing machine, figure out new ways to engage audiences with non-traditional you know, investment models. That is so cool because, you know, I'm a marketing professor. As you said, you looked me up. So I'm trying to change how marketing is changing. And what we're seeing the biggest changes in, of course, is the channels and in content. Um, So what does actually what marketing means? You know, like a commercial, a traditional commercial is is really not the mainstream of marketing anymore. A lot of it is this content entertainment or integrated marketing and channels. Like when you talk about live streaming or something like that, it's not clear clear to me whether that's a channel or a promotion, um, you know, vehicle. And I think what you're talking about really is the future of marketing, this idea of putting together uh, entertaining advertisement. That's, first of all, an interesting idea. Most advertising people just want to go through. You're creating advertising, I believe, that you think people are going to want to watch. And part of it is that it's integrated. I mean, that's it's just starting from there. That's a brand new idea. Create marketing people want to sit through, you know? Yeah, it, it is, you know, marketers, and I, I by no means have a traditional marketing background. I honestly didn't even study it and with, with respect to what you do. Didn't study it um, in, in college, but, but marketers like to control historically, right? And control the message and control what they're putting in front of audiences. And, and I, I fundamentally believe, as do my partners and creators, that you got to meet people where they are. And it can't be about just interrupting. It has to be about engaging with some things that people actually want to see. That doesn't mean everything needs to be humorous or funny or satirical, but, but it actually has to be good and decent and can't just be peddling uh, a final outcome. And I think you're right with, the, with streamers and the, the entire notion of time-bound appointment viewing being destroyed. That is forcing marketers to really think differently about the things that they create and what they want people to see. And yeah, I I definitely look at it from an entertainment first perspective, create stuff that people want to see. And to your point, platform agnostic, you know, uh, the ability to travel. uh, It's almost cliche at this point, but it's a fact. 
So let's, I mean, because I have some more questions about this and I'm interested in what you're saying philosophically, but before we go with that, let's talk about some concrete examples of what you've done, just so people have a sense of what it is. So I know one of the things that you worked on recently was the primetime special live in front of a studio audience. And can you talk a little bit about what the concept was with all of that, uh, that yeah, idea? For sure. Yeah, it's a great example of, I think, the point you made. And, and live in front of a studio audience, effectively, Jimmy Kimmel and Norman here creating classic hit shows with a contemporary cast. So for this is the third installment. We started off with All in the Family, where Woody Harrelson played Archie Bunker, as well as the Jeffersons, when uh, Jamie Foxx played George Jefferson. And this one, uh, most recently, we did um, Facts of Life, uh, and different strokes for, for different strokes. Uh, Kevin Hart played Arnold and Jennifer Aniston played Blair from Facts of Life. And, and really what we set out to do is it was a whole 80s environment around that. And we wanted to create an experience that allowed an audience to time travel. And so the, the idea was, how do we take people back in time to the 80s? Um, and so we wanted to set out to actually create period pieces that would bring back nostalgia and, 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 and people would remember these famous ads of the time. And, and to do it, we partnered with Ryan Reynolds uh, and his company, Maximum Effort. We had three intrepid brands and Kraft Heinz, uh, Jack in the Box, and of course, Diageo with, with American Aviation Gin that were willing to go on that ride. And, and really it was bringing back, you know, the, we, we created one that was uh, with Bob Vila and the Kool-Aid guy and Alfonso Riviero that was, you know, diagnosing why why the kool-aid guy would break through walls uh, we of course you know we, we created uh a, a scene that would have been reminiscent of the the your brain on drugs and it was your brain on cheese um for craft singles, singles. i love really, that <laughs> yeah just picking picking out these moments and integrating them in the show in a way that was fit to the content, right? And fit to the time. So again, it, it, was, it was true to, the, to what Jimmy was putting on screen. Uh, it was a love letter to the 80s in every way. And, and it wasn't just about what the brand message, it was about having some fun with the brand and the period. And, and, and only special brands would jump all into something like that. And these guys did. Yeah, so that's a couple. That was interesting. First of all, you did use some really iconic, old, nostalgic brands, um, and, and then you played on them in a way that really did emphasize their brand. I'm thinking in particular for the craft singles. You know, that was the one was yeah. like your. It was your. They were making fun of your brain on drugs kind of ad, I think. And instead of that, you were like frying up. Instead of your brain, you were frying up a cheese sandwich, I think. And there was some play on the idea of singles also. Um, so like you were doing things that were really reinforcing the brand name. I think actually from advertising point of view, you really made people aware of the brand in a way that they would remember it. But it was entertaining. How much of that was was built into or how, how much of it was lucky? Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly because it was really good marketing. It was good advertising. When, when you partner with someone like Kimmel and, and someone like Ryan Reynolds, um, you're, 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 you're leveraging their creative capital as much as anything. And so it was very intentional to have a tongue firmly implanted in the cheek and, and, and be funny and have fun with it. And so it, that we set out to do something that was an homage to the period but also that would be fun and, and accomplish something for both the show uh, and the brands in the process. So it was definitely intentional. And the craft singles 
you know, at the end for, for your audience. If you haven't seen it, I, I encourage you to go online and look it up, Craft Singles. Um, there's, a, there's a little Easter egg at the end um, around Craft Singles actually running a party hotline, a singles <laughs> hotline, which is, yeah, which is right. quite funny. Yeah. But you're right. It was all done. It was all done to have fun, but also be fit for purpose with the content that it was airing in. Yeah, and Ryan, Ryan Reynolds has been doing things like this all along, where he's really great at being part of advertising that, that creates brand recognition and brand awareness, but does it in a way that, that's funny and meaningful. I mean, it's not it's humor that plays into the brand in a way. I mean, it's not just funny. It's funny strategically. That's right. That's right. Well, he, he would say, and Jimmy has long agreed. I mean, Kimmel was one of the first late, if not the first, late night uh, host to start a YouTube channel early on doing integrations into the show. And they would both tell you that advertising doesn't have to be boring um, and that it can be fun. And that not only the Super Bowl has to be the one thing a year where people talk about creative. They, we, we live in front an example that the press response to it was great because we created a moment with it that again fit this big moment that was going to be on ABC. Um, but you're right. It, it, advertising doesn't have to be boring or traditional. It can be fun and different and tell a story. It's so amazing that people don't learn that. I mean, it's just shocking. Now, one of the things I was thinking of when you were talking about this is if I think of traditional advertising and part of the reason it's been so annoying is also that it's repeated so often that I have to, you know, it's, it's some of this notion that unless I hear the ad 700 million times, I won't remember it. Um, how do, how do you, what do you do? Are these ads repeated? I mean, it, well, how does that work? Or is it you, you expect them to have good attention at the first time around? around or what do you think about this notion of repeat yeah it's it's a great point and i think look for for wheelhouse labs i started off obviously working inside a consumer brand and so i understand the tension that comes when you have an audience and a message that you're trying to drive but i but i definitely as i crossed over into the entertainment world understood that you'll get better attention and more effective takeaway if things are entertaining and so i think i think traditional creative as foundational they call it you know um uh hero creative will matter when you're trying to position and establish what a brand is what it stands for and what the benefit of it is and so i think those are things that need to be seen and seen probably often to establish but I think to get cultural traction, to drive relevancy, the ability to be fast moving with culture and have an adaptable message um, is really important. And that's really what we're able to do at Wheelhouse Labs, because we see what's happening that's going on in entertainment. We're able to see so far out as we look at development slates, what people are going to be talking about and seeing. And that gives us the ability to be a bit in front of culture and, and therefore start to plan out content and creative that can adjust to these tentpole moments that are coming that still can drive and map back to a hero brand message, but doesn't have to be exclusively to that message or beholden to that message. So to your point, I think burn is going to, is important, but I think the more in tune you could be with meeting your audience, where they are, having your finger on pulse and culture and being able to adapt your creative to that, people are going to remember you more. I mean, Geico is a great example of that. Yeah, um, that, that's a great Di example. Diageo, yeah, yeah and, and Johnny Walker, a 200 plus year old brand that 
through great trademark work, has been able to stay relevant. Guinness, another one. Now yeah. it's about how do you bring that speed to change as things move and change in culture. And that's, that's really where Wheelhouse Labs, you know, comes in and a lot of the work we're focused on with brands. That really makes a lot of sense. Are you doing anything for the holidays that's specifically holiday focused? Yeah, we um, we, we work um, when I left the Ajum came in. They've been a great partner. We still do a ton of cultural marketing work for them. Uh, and, and we did some work for Ciroc and, and Pomegranate, which was a holiday uh, offering that they were coming out. And again, it was all around this notion of people coming back together. Obviously, celebrations aren't still fully back to bright. But right. we wanted to showcase people getting together in a responsible way and enjoying a great product over the holidays. So, so we did some some work for them. And, and we've been doing a lot of advising just around, again, what I said to you, meeting consumers where they are in these at-home moments uh, during the holidays. And one last question. I know we have very little time left, but I'm just curious. Do you do anything in the world of gaming or is it all in content? Yeah, no, we, we're definitely in the world of gaming. We just put together a, a big partnership with Crown Royal. Uh, and DraftKings. It's not gaming in the sense that you're talking about, but it certainly was around the insight of fantasy football and how do we integrate inside their app uh, in, in, a, in a meaningful way. And so, yeah, and, we're, and we are definitely looking at gaming for a few of our other brands in the more traditional sense that you might be referencing, like actual video games. So, yeah, yes. we, are, we are definitely exploring that space. Because I hear there's a lot going on there. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much, Dan Sanborn, who's the president of Wheelhouse Labs and head of marketing at Kimmelot, which is Jimmy Kimmel's creative lab. Thank you so much for joining us. And where can people go to see these ads and see more of what you're doing? YouTube. I mean, everything seems to have a long life on, on YouTube. But yeah, given that given and there's going to be a re-air on, on the December 22nd um, where they'll be running in again as well. And can we live stream that show? Um, is that live streamable? The, um, the uh, I believe live in front it's of on Hulu. Team? Yeah, I believe it's on Hulu as well. Uh, the I original mean, airing was on the seventh, but but yes, it's on. You on, can stream uh, it, right? I know what you meant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah what on demand. Yeah, on demand. That's what I meant exactly. Because I want to go watch it again. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Happy holidays. <laughs> Thanks, Barbara. Happy holidays to you as well. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Hello, this is Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Barbara Kahn, and I'm thrilled to welcome my last guest for the hour, Josh Jacobs, who's the co-founder and CEO of Speakeasy Company, which is a leading e-commerce and fulfillment platform that's servicing the beverage alcohol industry. Hello, Josh. Hello. Thanks for having me, Barbara. Yeah, so before we talk a little bit about who you are, let's talk a little bit about Speakeasy and what that is. Because Much this more is interesting a, anyways. <laughs> this is an interesting ca- category, um, alcohol, because there's a lot of regulation about it and how you get your drinks and when you can buy your drinks. And I know Pennsylvania has been a terrible state on this dimension, um, very state by state, so it's super complicated. But I think a lot of these rules got relaxed during COVID and you can buy drinks more easily and Anyway, tell us how you fit into that whole bit. That, that whole yeah, mess. <laughs> complicated is perhaps an understatement. This is an exceedingly complex industry that we find ourselves in. As you just hit on, it, it's not one country. It's really almost 50 different countries that we're working with just because each state has their own unique set of nuances and regulations. And to really help paint the picture of who Speakeasy is, it, 
makes sense to take a step back and talk a little bit about the existing regulatory landscape at a, at a super high level. One of the primary pieces that we're trying to navigate through is what's called the three-tier system, what's existed since prohibition. So in 1933, they created the three tiers, which are the brands, tier one, the distributors, tier two, and then the bars, restaurants, and liquor stores, tier three. And generally speaking, each tier can only sell to the next. So the brands can only sell to the distributors who sell to the bars, restaurants, and liquor stores, where we as consumers purchase our product. And this creates a very difficult environment if you're a brand where you're entirely removed from the end customer transaction in a bar, restaurant, or liquor store. If you think about it, all you have is your bottle label on a shelf or name on a menu, which is just not enough real estate to engage with consumers, to tell your story, and have any hope in altering the buying behavior. And so Speakeasy, we're innovating the space by transforming these brands into e-commerce companies for the first time. We're empowering them to own their customer data, their customer relationships, and really take control over their own destiny for the first time. So how did you get around? I mean, did you have to go around regulation or you found a loophole or how, how did this work? If this was impossible before and now it's possible, how, how did that all happen? Yeah, and it's less that it, it wasn't possible before and more that there's just continued to be a lot of innovation in the space. And we saw an opportunity where a lot of brands are starting to get savvy by kind of creating their own e-commerce expertise by driving traffic to a Drizzly or an online liquor store that was already carrying their product. And so at one point in time, we actually had our own online liquor store and we kept going back to the brands. How can we improve upon this experience? And uh, it actually started with a craft cocktail subscription box. We've been on this incredible journey where we're constantly seeking feedback and improving upon the experience. But fast forwarding, we had our online liquor store and the brands were telling us, well, this is great, but you're no better than any other online liquor store. We have no control over the user experience, the look, the feel, the design, the price of shipping. At the bottom of your product page, you're highlighting competitive products. So we could pay for a click on Instagram, drive it to Drizzly or any online liquor store, including this one that Speakeasy had, and generate sales for a competitor. And then in terms of data, we have no ability to track who's clicking where and what the corresponding ROI is. And then at the end of the day, no ownership over that email address should we drive a conversion for one of our own products. And so we said, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. How can we improve? So we started building these dedicated landing pages on the Speakeasy website. We hit all the navigation on our website and productized this. And we said, all right, brands, you now have a blank canvas to tell your story, engage with potential shoppers, oh, yeah. and have a little bit more control over the user experience. And the brands were still telling us that it wasn't enough. And truth be told, Barbara, I was talking with a potential partner and they said, hey, Josh, rather than a dedicated landing page on the Speakeasy website, what if you guys built us a website soup to nuts from the ground up where we had, we had access to all the fundamental e-commerce tools and ownership over all the data, but we leveraged your compliance and fulfillment back end. So the financials were still flowing through the three tiers. So in actuality, just like an online liquor store, consumers are purchasing through the three tiers from a retail partner, but we're collapsing that experience in a seamless fashion. And it looks like you're buying directly from the brands. Oh, that is so cool. That makes sense. So you're not 
breaking any rules. You're still living by the archaic regulations that govern the industry, but you've kind of gotten around it. Because the way you were describing it almost sounds like a platform for luxury brands or something like that, where there's platforms and you can build your own customer experience on the platform and sell direct. And you're kind of doing that for the luxury spirits brands, so to speak, the ones that really want to elevate their brand. But you're still living within the regulation. That's why it's more complicated. And some of these exactly. other marketplaces can't do it. That's really interesting. And do you have to build something different for what happens in Internet land? I mean, what state are we in? Don't they all have different um, regulations? I know Pennsylvania. I'm very sensitive to that because Pennsylvania has so many regulations about alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. So we're constantly working with the brands themselves, even distributors, the liquor stores, regulators, lawyers, to ensure that we're abiding by all the laws possible, because we're not necessarily trying to disrupt the three-tier system. We are, as you just highlighted, looking to operate within the existing regulatory landscape. And we hope over time, things become a little bit easier. So the consumer experience will be less expensive and even faster to the doorstep. But for now, we're really happy operating within the existing regulatory landscape. Well, in some ways, it's like now that you've figured out how to do it, it's good because it's an entry barrier to competition coming in and just copying that. Um, so you have an advantage in navigating that whole world. It does make there is some slight advantage. Now, do you are you able to sell it by the drink or you have to sell it um, by the container or how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question, Barbara. And you were highlighted over the course of the pandemic. There has been some regulatory loosening in terms of the laws. And one of the biggest pieces is cocktails to go. And that'll be specifically from bars and restaurants delivering to consumers. Speakeasy, we are exclusively focused on the actual bottles themselves. So whether it's a bottle of spirits, we also ship wine and sake and beer and everything in between. And so we're strictly liquor store selling to the consumer, but a focus for us is offering offering a differentiated experience. So we really target brands and products that are not widely distributed and not in your corner liquor store, some really high-end premium Uh. products some rare craft products, and then going beyond the bottle and offering, again, this differentiated experience with merchandise, custom unboxing experiences and the like. Yeah. And I think that's one of the trends that really happened during the pandemic, this real, you know, people making up their own craft cocktails. People were making sourdough breads and fancy, fancy drinks. And so all that fancy stuff that you're talking about, there was a lot of demand for that, I think, during COVID. And and I think it stays past COVID. I mean, I think that's one of the trends that was a more long last. I think people gave up sourdough bread, for example. (laughs) But I don't think they gave up these crafts cocktails. Is that true or... That is absolutely true. So there are a couple of trends that we happen to be in the intersection of. The first is just e-commerce in general. Now that consumers are aware and have tasted the convenience of delivery direct to their doorstep for alcohol specifically, we're not seeing them go back. It was pretty wild. Even a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2019, before the pandemic, e-commerce alcohol represented less than 2% 
of total alcohol sales and more specifically spirits, which is really has been our focus, a fraction of that. Wine had been uh, more focused online previously. So we're talking about a fraction of a percent of overall sales for spirits and spirits alone is an $80 billion industry. And they're forecasting that e-commerce alcohol will be 7% of the total wow. industry by 2024 alone. So just absolutely explosive growth over the coming years. And then that's really propelled by another major trend that we're seeing. Of course, at the beginning of the pandemic, people were a little nervous, stressed out and drinking a little more from the data that we've seen. But generally speaking, consumers are drinking less over time. What we're seeing is this focus on health and wellness, but right. also this focus on premiumization. So consumers are drinking less, but they prefer to drink something that's a little better for them if possible, but at a minimum, something that's a little bit more premium, more expensive with this story. So whether it's craft or whether it's aged for an extra period of time, this is what consumers are gravitating towards. And this is what we can really open up. That's really exciting. I mean, you're seeing, so you're mentioning some general trends we saw across all industries, which is, of course, the move to um, digital. That's obviously a really big trend that happened during COVID, but also this idea of uh, customer experience around the product. So it's not just the product, it's the whole experience around. And you are seeing this move to premium content to health and wellness, you know, that's kind of linked together with the sustainability kind of trends and people are, are drinking better, healthier. Well, you know, and so therefore the customer experience matters. So it sounds like you're in the right place at the right time. Um, so that's really, I, I can see why there'd be growth in that type of business. That's really good. So tell yes. us how you got there. You know, I would said we'd go back to your personal story. How did you get to be in the right place at the right time here? I wish I could say it was a stroke of genius, but that's absolutely not the case. It's been a story of blood, sweat, and tears to get us to where we are today. So I'm a, I'm a data scientist by trade, but I've uh, really been an entrepreneur at heart, having this affinity towards entrepreneurism, launching my first startup in college. And over the next number of years, I launched a series of startups making every mistake in the books. And fortunately, by the time we launched Speakeasy, again, with an entirely different concept, I had a larger set of capabilities and still this burning desire to really find a creative outlet that I couldn't find in my day job. And so Speakeasy started with this craft cocktail subscription box back in 2015. Oh, you started was, with a box. Yeah, back in 2015, Blue Apron and HelloFresh and all these subscription boxes were blowing up. And simultaneously, craft cocktails were becoming an integral facet of restaurant menus yeah. and dedicated cocktail bars were popping up. And we said, all right, what is the union of these two really major trends? And we didn't see a competitor in the space. And so that's where we initially launched. So are you still doing boxes? Is that still part of it? No. So from 2015 to 2017, we went through a series of iterations where first there was the subscription box, and then we started reselling the full-size bottles on our website. And then we built that craft spirit stores. So we weren't limited to just previous partners. And then the dedicated landing pages that we hit on. And then the major pivot to the direct-to-consumer platform that exists today. And we ended up sunsetting the subscription boxes just because this is such a massive, exciting opportunity. We wanted to be laser-focused 
on this that, direct to consumer that's platform. That's such an interesting history because like what you're describing, I see a lot of companies started that like Birchbox started with the subscription boxes for cosmetics and beauty products, but really where the real money was, was on their website selling full side versions. And then they too opened up a store. They opened up a physical store where they were trying to customize and figure out what you know people wanted in beauty. It's a very similar kind of trajectory. And I think a lot of these boxes, they were very popular, as you mentioned a few years ago, but yep. I don't think there's that many of them left. People kind of got tired of them and they didn't want the subscription necessarily. And the money wasn't in the box. The money wasn't in the full sale anyway. So it kind of makes sense that you would get there. That's so interesting. So do you still have a subscription or is it you can buy whenever you want now? At this point, we don't offer any products direct to consumer from Speakeasy. We're strictly B2B at this time. So hinting that there might at some point be a way to purchase products seemingly direct through Speakeasy experience. But right now, if you want to purchase products, you'd have to go to Jägermeister or Bacardi or Whistlepig or any of the craft brands that, that we work with. I will say we are starting to offer subscription function functionality for our partners. And so, for example, we just launched one of our first subscriptions through Westward Whiskey. They're an amazing craft whiskey out of Oregon. And so you could go to their website and sign up for their whiskey subscription and get a really unique bottle of whiskey sent directly to your doorstep on a quarterly basis. Yeah, because it does make sense in this category to have a subscription. It's not a crazy idea. Like you said, yeah, in wine, that's, you know, wine by the month, wine clubs and all that other stuff. That's been the way it's going. And so it makes sense to have it in spirits as well. But do you, you said you focus mostly on spirits, but do you sell wines and uh, craft beers and things like that too? We do. Yeah. So we're starting to really break out uh, of spirits, but wine has enjoyed some additional luxuries. So they lobbied over a decade ago. And so shipping wine has been feasible for, or just more accessible for an extended period of time. The wineries can actually ship direct to consumer and that has given them a really large head start and thus removes a lot of the value that we're offering. So for the most part, the wines that we're partnering with are imported wines that again do not have the the ability to sell direct to consumer that have to flow through the three tiers just like beer and spirits yeah well so complicated so like where's, <laughs> right? where's growth here is the growth like to stay in this i mean are you thinking about going into marijuana or anything like that it's <laughs> like another business that's full of regulations or are you going to stay in alcohol or how, how you see growth we might be crazy enough to venture into marijuana cannabis at some point, but for now we have our hands full on a really exciting business. We're up to about 300 partners right now, and there are 14,000 spirit brands, 8,000 craft breweries. So there's an enormous runway. And then the other piece isn't just bringing on new brands, but since this is such a nascent industry, working with our existing partners to fully maximize the opportunity, a lot of these guys are opened up to a brand new sales channel and they have to figure out how to optimize it and so whether that's having them hire internally or we've just launched our own marketing services to help be a one-stop shop that's going to be a focus for us and really trying to grow within the alcohol industry this makes so much sense to me because this is a category where brand and customer experience and storytelling, people not only like it, they really appreciate it. It makes the whole thing better. It's what it's about. So I think it's a great category for this. Congratulations, Josh. And where can our listeners follow you or everything going on at Speakeasy? 
Yeah, absolutely. So speakeasyco.com. Follow us there on our website, on our social media channels. Definitely reach out and say hello to me, Josh at speakeasyco.com. Okay, thanks a lot. That's all thanks, we have Barbara. time for today. And then I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Dion Simpkins and Chris Tooks and our producer, Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. We replay our show several times throughout the week. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Marketing. And you can follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming. Thank you for listening today. Have a happy and safe holiday season. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.